welcome to SpicFic NZ podcast, where we bring you the authors that aren't afraid to ask what if. I'm Matt Danaher, and I mostly write unpublished short stories. I'm Kura Carpenter. I'm a Dunedin fantasy author. My debut novel, The Kingfisher's Debt, has come, just come out recently. And I'm Nick Whitaker, and I have nine novels that are indie published at the moment. everybody and welcome back to another SpecFic NZ podcast. On today's episode we have our new guest Mark McCabe. Mark and his partner recently moved to Dunedin from Australia and this year he has self-published a YA epic fantasy series Chronicles of Illaroy. The series comprises of two books As Fire Is To Gold and When All The Leaves Have Fallen. The stories are about a young girl drawn into a fight between three wizards with the face of the world hanging on the outcome. On the podcast today, Mark will be discussing his recent experiences of KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing, which is Amazon's self-publishing company. KDP includes Amazon's ebook division, commonly known as Kindle, and its paperback division, which was formerly CreateSpace. Hello and um, welcome, Mark. Now, I know that you're actually quite a recent member to SpecFic NZ as you joined late last year, but I'm wondering if you could tell us how you found out about SpecFic NZ. Um, yeah, thanks, Kira. Um, well, one of the first things I did when I moved to, New Ze- uh, to Dunedin, which is where I am now, is I joined a writing group. It's the first time I've joined a writing group, and it was from the writing group that I heard about SpecFic um, NZ. And I'm a big fan of joining um, um, appropriate writing bodies as an author. Um, yeah. And so I looked up SpecFic NZ and liked what I saw. And I thought, yeah, this is for me. So I joined. Excellent. And so recently, in a, converse, in a conversation you and I had, um, when we were talking about um, your KDP experiences and you were sharing a lot of your newly gained knowledge with me, which I found really interesting. Um, you gave some interesting advice and in that when writers load a manuscript to KDP, they should set up the paper book edition first. I was wondering if you could explain why that is, because I kind of would have thought that, you know, doing the ebook would be easier. Um, yeah, look, it's not essential. Um, Amazon KDP recommend that you do the paperback first. Right. Everything you do for the ebook is a cut down of what you do for the paperback. Ah, okay. So in that sense, it's easier because you've done all the hard yards. Um, yes. You know, so for example, the cover covers more than covers on the ebook, etc. But there's yep. less information required. Um, and I guess the other bit is the manuscript itself changes um, because you've got to put it into a format for an ebook, and it derives from the manuscript you would use for the paperback. So it just sort of makes more sense to go with the paperback first. Yeah, it's so it sort of streamlines it a bit, a bit more yeah. efficient. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I guess obviously that is depending that you'd be planning on doing a paperback edition um, and an ebook, but yeah. Why wouldn't you do both? Exactly. I think, um, um, and my, my experience was, look, you know, I think it was pretty easy to use KDP, 
But that having been said, it took me a couple of days to get everything in there. But the ebook took about 15 minutes. Wow. So once, once I'd done the paperback, yeah. uh, it was smooth sailing. The hardest wow. bit for the ebook was actually creating the manuscript into the, the right format. Yes, yes, yeah. Once I got my head around that, that's actually a couple of minutes job as well. Right. I've got a. Um, sorry, I'd just like to jump in with a, a quick question about KDP that's just occurred to me. So yeah. one of my, um, as a fairly new arrival to, to New Zealand, one of the things I've been a bit disappointed about is that there's a real lack of print on demand when it comes to self-publishing. So, mm. um, you mean in, locally? Yeah, so in many markets you can literally do a deal where you just where a copy is printed only when people order it. So you don't have to pay for any upfront yourself as the author. But in New Zealand, when you talk to publishers that claim to do print on demand, they actually only do still uh, only do small print runs. Yeah, so, yeah, they'll, they'll want um, 50. It, it depends where you go. Now, interestingly, slightly off topic, um, down here in Dunedin, um, there's a, an outfit called Dunedin Print, and they actually have a Hewlett Packard Indigo printer, which is exactly the same as what Ingram Spark mm. use. Um, but for some reason, they're not interested in particularly letting um, authors know that they've got this machine because they're, you know, they're, they've got so much commercial printing going on. But yeah, apparently, according to them, um, I guess they're the only ones outside of Australia who've actually got the technology. Right. So what I was wondering is, Mark. Um, so with KDP, is it the set? Is it print on demand? Basically, when a customer orders a copy, they get sent a copy. And is, it, is there an extra expense because of the postage? Um, there is an expense for postage, um, depending where they're ordering it from. Mm. So, you know, the, the biggest market is the US, and it's going to be coming from the US. So there's no right. particular yeah, postage issues there. But they also print in Australia. Um, so there's a couple of different locations where they can print it. Um, look, um, I'm not a big fan of the big tech companies, um, but I can't see why or how you would get a better deal than what Amazon are offering for a print-on-demand yeah. service. Because I, you know, I was a bit wondering what it was going to be like here in New Zealand. It was very cheap for a copy, um, per copy, and very cheap for the postage, as an, from an author's point of view anyway. Yeah. Um, I was pretty yeah. impressed. Yeah, they've got, I would, they've got the process pretty slick at the moment. Yes, I was um, actually doing some numbers of local printeries to find out how much it would cost to get a certain volume of books printed. And then when Mark came along with his KDP information, that totally blew all the research I'd done <laughs> out of the water, mm. including the post and getting a book printed, a small run coffee, like copy, um, say 50 copies with post. It's cheaper through Amazon. You can't, you just can't compete with those prices in New Zealand, unfortunately, for, for that kind of um, small run. Well, for my um, recent book, 200 pages, each of those two books, um, mm -hmm. I ordered 50 copies and it cost me $8 per copy, including postage. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's I'm not that's sure where you get a better deal. No, because, yeah, the information that I could find, um, the best deal in terms of quality product was up in Wellington and that could, you could get to around $9 a copy, but you had to order 200 copies. Yeah. And there's that didn't include post from Wellington either. Yeah. There's only one little glitch about why you might why you might consider not using Amazon KEP if you could find someone who is cost competitive. 
And that is, in order to order those author copies, your book has to be published on Amazon KDP. So if you want to delay the launch, well, it's already up there. Mm. Now, people do all sorts of things, like they hide it by putting some outrageous price on it until the launch comes along or something like that, but it's still up there. Mm. Um, and I've Googled about this. There's no way around that, basically. Yeah, that, that does seem a strange feature. You'd think they would um, cater yeah. to that. Surely a lot of people would be asking for it. Yeah, but, but it's not a big deal because no one knows yeah. it up, it's up there until you tell them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and even after you tell them sometimes. No yeah. One does. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I, don't, I wouldn't yeah. let that worry me, to be honest. Oh. And I think one of the absolute biggest advantages of self-publishing must be that you can make changes whenever you feel like it. And so in regards to what you were saying about it, you know, being published and once it's out there, what can and what can't you change after publishing with KDP? So there's, um, let me just add, there's no upfront charges either, by the way. Um, Brilliant. So there's only one thing that you really can't change, and that's your author name. So once it's published right. under the name, and say I published under the name Mark A. McCabe, if I then wanted to change it to Mark McCabe, I couldn't really. It's, yeah. The ISBN's allocated to um, Mark A. McCabe. You know, I didn't do that. I, I published it as Mark McCabe. But if you want to change your author name, that's the only thing you can't change. It's a bit tricky changing the cover, um, depending on where you got it. So if you've paid someone to develop the cover for you and you want to change it, you may have to pay more money. You know, you've got to go through a process there. But there's nothing to stop you changing the cover, assuming you can get the changes done. And there's mm. not, nothing to stop you changing the manuscript. So I just heard yesterday from someone who pointed out a couple of um, typos in the second book, which mm. I wasn't aware of. So I instantly fixed them and uploaded the new manuscript. Yeah. It's um, brilliant. Yeah. And so I can just keep doing that ad infinitum. Um, and, of course, I can refresh that cover and sort of re, yeah. you know, relaunch it a bit at some point down yeah. the track. Yeah, and I, I think that's such a good idea, and I don't know why more people aren't doing that. I'm yeah. always surprised by that because, yeah, just, you know, do a relaunch, a refresh. You can do, like, you know, your, your five-year special edition or, um, yeah, if you've got awards, whatever, you can add that on. Yeah. yeah. There are yeah, fabulous. covers can come with a cost, of course. Yeah. Unless you've got the skill to do it yourself. Um, which I would caution people against because you want a good cover and, okay, some people do have the skill, but you don't want it to look crummy either. Yeah. You Definitely. really need other people to be giving you some honest yeah. feedback on your cover, I think. And yeah. speaking of um, covers, something else which is really important is uh, surely getting the blurb right. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, because Amazon is essentially a search engine, Getting the blurb right must be even more important. I'm wondering what tips can you recommend that would hopefully result in increasing an author's visibility to the right audience? Well, it's an interesting question because normally when you talk about blurb, a lot of people think you're talking about the blurb on the cover. And what I've found is that's not really that important anymore. Most marketing is done, you know, online um, unless you've got... You, getting your book into a lot of bookshelves, a lot of bookshops. So it's the blurb on the Amazon page or on your web page or whatever that really matters. Um, so in terms of that, it's absolutely critical. 
Um, if you think about how your book is going to be sold, somehow you've got to advise people that the book's out there. They're going to see it somewhere on the web. They're going to see the cover and they're either going to think, yeah, that's something that I'm interested in or no, that looks like crap. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to even look at that. But then the next step is they're going to look at the blurb. Yeah. And that's your last chance really to get them to think this is a book for me. Mm. So you've really got to target that blurb at your target audience. It's absolutely yep. so critical. But the other thing I discovered is keywords are important in drawing people to your web page, be it the Amazon page or whatever. You should put keywords into your blurb as well. Um, and even at one point I realised what I probably should start my blurb with, and it starts with that at the moment, is new release fantasy because that's a right. common key search that people make. So I not only put it in as a keyword, I put it right at the beginning of my um, blurb. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because a lot of people are attracted to the, well, there's no reviews or there weren't any reviews up there at that point. Yeah. Well, it's a new release fantasy. That's why, you know, because yeah. people are going to look for your reviews. They're absolutely critical. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I played with that blurb for about a week and almost every day changed it and honed it and honed it getting more and more in tune with what the target audience was. Um, but you can do that after you're published. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you were talking about you're not a big fan of the, the tech companies and things like that. Is that one of the reasons why you went wide? Um, yeah. Look, I went wide because um, that's what I was advised to do. I think it's the right decision because um, a lot of booksellers don't like dealing with Amazon. Um, yeah. and that's just the fact of life. I, I'm not going to, unless you really want to dig it out of me, get <laughs> too much about Amazon because I've been pretty happy with them, but I, yeah. I can totally see why booksellers don't want to deal with them. So I also went with Ingram Spark, which cost more and was more difficult to deal with. So the Amazon process was really sleek. Um, I had to pay um, all up around about 150 bucks. There's a couple of things I had to do with Ingram Spark to go through that process. Um, but now it's up there. It's It's got wide availability for all sorts of bookstores. Um, and I think that was worth that small amount of money to put into it. Yeah. I always wait for when they have one of those sales where they uh, let you sign up for free for one book or things like that. Yes. Now, <laughs> now um, I see you got lots of blogs and advice for writers on your website. Have you found that very beneficial? I have. It's drawn a lot of people to the website. Um, I've created a rod from my own back because <laughs> keeping it going while yeah. I'm, I'm working on marketing the book, um, you know, and doing last-minute touches wherever some um, typo appears or something like that, I've found it really hard to keep it going. Yeah. Um, but, yes, it's been really, really useful. Um, and a lot of the stuff I read said I should have started doing that six months ago, um, <laughs> which I didn't do. Um, but, oh, well, I'll be ready for next book. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it is essential. So uh, have you done any other things for, like, your marketing, like a newsletter or advertising with um, other companies or things like that? Um, no, only really through, a, well, a couple of avenues. So um, I've looked at Pinterest and tried to market it through that looked at Goodreads, um, Twitter. Um, I was already pretty um, familiar with Twitter from um, my working life. And a lot of people yeah. don't like Twitter, but, you know, it is used a lot. So I found that useful. 
Um, Twitter and Facebook are probably, and Goodreads are probably the three avenues that I've used. Um, and I ran some ads on Facebook, mainly to hone the keywords. And I'd really encourage people to do that. You can run a couple of ads for a small period of time and find out what are the keywords that are working for you at very low cost. That's true. Now, how do you get Goodreads to work? I've never managed to get that one to work for me. Yeah. Uh, look, it's not easy, <laughs> but I think you need a presence there. So yeah. um, I, w I did a couple of things to try and get reviews. I went to a place called Library Things. Yep. Um, and, the, and I got a couple of reviews out of that, but the reviews appeared on Goodreads, to my surprise. Um, That's good. So, yeah, so a lot of people do use Goodreads. Um, yeah, look, I'm not... You know, I don't think Goodreads is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it doesn't cost you much to do it and it doesn't um, take much effort to keep it up to date. And so why not do it? Why not have as many avenues as you can to get it out there as long as you can keep on top of them all? Yeah. Now, about your book. Now, you've got a female protagonist, and I usually only read uh, books with the, the female protagonist. So I was quite interested that you've got this. So was it uh, difficult to write a female protagonist? Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it was, because you may have noticed yeah. I'm not female. <laughs> um, yeah, look, so this is my first book. And um, I look, at the only way I think you can deal with that is you've got to get as much feedback as you can. You've got to use, you know, your beta readers, etc. cetera. Um, but in another sense, it, it's a bit harder than this, but in one sense, whatever character you write, you've got to get your head in that space. And that's something I really tried to do when I wrote the, the book. I made sure I never wrote more than one character in a session because my view was you really had to get yourself into that character to write it properly. Um, now, of course, that was difficult for me to with a female character. But nonetheless, I, I put a bit of effort into getting my head into the space that I thought I needed to be in to do that. Yeah. Would that be the advice you would give anybody that's trying to write the other like because you don't just have your female protagonist you also have other other things in there that might be tricky to write yeah so what what advice would you give for writing something that well we don't know look someone said once that you know you should only write stuff you know but you know if you're writing about a wizard <laughs> yeah. or, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really work for fantasy no um, it doesn't no i know some people who think they're wizards but you know it's not quite <laughs> Look, I just think you've really got to think when you write that particular um, um, segment, you've really got to think about how that character would feel. Um, you've got to get yourself in that headspace. If you just sit down and write that character, you'll find that most of your characters will all feel the same. Yeah. You've, you've really got to get yourself into the space of how would a, that, that particular character feel given the things that I'm making happen to them. Um, and that, of course, is when characters start to take a life of their own and the story goes in a direction that you haven't planned. Because um, yeah. you thought something was going to happen, but when you embodied that character, you realise they wouldn't respond that way. Something different happens. And that's one of the magical parts about writing, I think. Yeah, and you're fantasy, so of course you have maps, which I thank you for, because <laughs> I really, really hate it when people do fantasy stories and don't have maps. So please yeah, tell me, yeah, how, how, did you get, how did you get your maps? Where did, did you get someone to make them for you? Or like, was it difficult? 
Yeah. Um, well, look, I, I had to draw a map when I wrote the book because I had to understand where they were getting, you know, my story involves a couple of subplots coming together and I had to have a sense of where they all were and how far apart they were and how long it would take them to meet up and all that kind of thing. So I created the map and I love maps, you know, right from when I was a, a young kid, I used to draw, you know, pirate maps and all this kind of stuff. I've always loved them. And, you know, I'm a, a bit of a collector of ancient maps as well. So th there's a passion there. Um, but I just stumbled across one day on Facebook um, a guy who did maps and I liked the map I saw. So I dropped him a line and said, you know, I'm interested in getting a map done, how much do you charge, blah, 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 um, and negotiated the deal. Um, and, of course, I've looked a bit more since then and found there's quite a lot of people out there who do it. And I don't think maps are that expensive um, to get done. I mean, some people charge a hell of a lot. Some people don't. And there's a whole variety of things, but I, I think they're essential. Uh, if you want a, your world to be something that people feel they can really experience, they need to understand where everything is. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty happy to put the maps in. Yeah, I was looking at a website that they had uh, the blueprints for the houses on their website, and I thought that was amazing. So that's why I like the maps as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, look, you lose nothing anyway by going out to the various people who do it and seeing what they'll charge. Um, and they're pretty good at, at just sitting down and Skyping with you about what you want. And, of course, you've got to send them something. You've got to have a hand-drawn map, but you've probably got a rough one anyway. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. And uh, while, while I definitely agree with what you were saying earlier about don't do your own covers unless you're mm. a properly trained artist, I think with, when it comes to maps, if people are desperate and they can't afford to pay someone to do a map, there are actually some pretty good online programs, um, which maybe we'll slip some links to because I've, I've gotten to hand uh, in yep. the show notes for people to generate maps um, online. And there's, there's websites that will do proper city maps for you. They'll do um, kind of medieval, modern, and then country maps as well. And, and you know, that's for free. So if you yeah. can't afford to do one. I, I actually discovered something like that recently. I, I discovered a uh, YouTube clip which explained how to create a map in Photoshop. And mm. um, I sat down and did it. It took me about an hour or so to get on top of it. Once I got the hang of it, it wasn't that hard. Um, I'm in the process of writing a new novel and I've created that map and I have it sitting as my desk um, wallpaper on my computer. Um, awesome. Yeah, and it's really good inspiration. One thing I would um, caution about maps is don't spend money on it until right near the end of, till you're right at the end, because you may make changes to the map. You know, you may change the city names or whatever. Um, Very good point. Yeah, so um, I'd save that one up till towards the end. But there's no reason why you couldn't create one of those maps of your own in the meantime. Um, and then if you did want to get done professionally, you've got something really good to hand over to someone else. But you're right, you can get a lot done yourself. I'd be very interested in that city map thing, if, if there's a link for it that you could send me, because um, <laughs> I've been giving some thought to having a map. There's a complex um, uh, setting within a city that I'm doing in this new novel. And it seemed to me that people need to have some understanding of the, the layout of the city. So mm. I'd be intrigued how to do that. Yeah, definitely. I can do that. Not a cool. problem. Um, on the on the subjects of of the of the maps, um, which I did enjoy, um, 
it got me thinking about your world building and, and the language and place. And I, I think you took an interesting, without giving any, I hope, hopefully I'm not giving any spoilers here, but use an interesting technique for um, translating because, um, you know, your, your protagonist is um, somebody from Earth who's mm. on another world and um, she can understand what everyone is, is saying. And I think that's a, a sensible approach, to be honest. But you've still kind of done a bit of world building around language in place, um, just looking at your map, because you have yep. cities and towns and geographical features with specific names, and some of them clearly have a kind of English inspiration, or you've used the English translation of, or, of whatever the native name would be. But I was just wondering how, kind of how much thought you put into language, place names, and, and things like that, and, and what you kind of use for inspiration. Yeah, um, I, interestingly, one of the places that I get names from, because I'm always intrigued and I always write down names when I come across them that I think are good names, um, but I get a lot of names from the credits at the end of TV shows. So, um, yeah, because you, they're often involve um, European people or people of all sorts of ethnic backgrounds and you see some fascinating names there. And I yeah. always read the credits and I get really annoyed when they skim the credits through really quickly, so quickly you can't see anything. Um, Can I jump in and give a tip there for getting interesting names? Yep. Um, when the Olympic Games are on, look at team members from um, other countries that you've never heard of before. Yeah. 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 yeah so I like a lot of European um, crime shows and they've always got interesting names in the credits. So, yep. Easy way to find them. Excellent. That's Brad Pitt. Cool. He'll make a good character. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mix, the, mix them up. <laughs> but I, did I did struggle a bit with that issue when I wrote that book of the character coming from our world and going into a fantasy world. And it was a bit difficult to deal with that. Uh, I didn't want to draw too much back to the human world because it's a fantasy story, but I was forced to, to an extent. So, mm. um, to be honest, if I, the next time I write a book, it'll be set totally in the fantasy world. It, it's a lot easier, I think. You miss out on opportunity for a lot of jokes um, about misunderstanding. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, pop culture references. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to remember, though, there is, a, there is a specific market for portal fantasies. So, um, yeah. you know, definitely a, a great opportunity for you with those two books. Oh, that might be a keyword there for you, Mark, if you haven't yeah, already got I, it in. I'm just keep that. When you said it, I hadn't even um, yeah. thought of it as an angle. Mm. And there's a, I forget the name of the writer now, but there's a really interesting uh, book, which I think is part of a series, and it's called Every Heart a Doorway. Um, okay. And it's a, it's a great read by an American writer. And uh, that's all about um, kids who were sucked into portals. Well, people who were sucked into portals as young kids and then they're back yeah. on Earth trying to cope with loss, with kind yeah. of the loss of this fantasy world and their, their fantasy friends and so on. It's yeah. a pretty good story and, and kind of look at the kind of portal fantasy tropes. Um, mm. So just uh, one of the things that really caught my eye with your books was, was the cover art, actually. And mm. I've already talked about that a little bit. And I, I do think that, especially for self-published fantasy, um, secondary world fantasy like yours, it's really rare to see really striking cover art that's also just nice good quality. yeah um so i was wondering who who's your artist um how did you find them and um, um, how was it working with them yeah um 
so look, the I've had universal feedback about the cover that people love it. So you're not the only one to say that to me. So I'm really proud of it. Um, but I knew I had that sense when I got it done that this is something I'm really proud of. So there's a couple of reasons why I did it. One, um, Cura actually pointed out to me um, the importance of the cover, which I had not even realised. Um, and so I determined to get a really good cover. I discovered a guy online. I just Googled a bit and I discovered this artist called Jeff Brown. Um, he's from the US and he's got a, a website, Jeff Brown Graphics. Um, and I went and had a look at it and loved his artwork. So I dropped him a line um, and he rang me and um, we talked about, you know, the, the contract, what he would give me. Um, and it was a great process. He Skyped me to start off for about half an hour and chatted to me about what I wanted out of the cover. Did I have any ideas? You know, what was the, the feeling I was trying to get across, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and about three quarters of the way through the conversation, he um, sent me a, a sketch that he'd done as we were talking, a rough oh, wow. sketch. And it ended up being pretty much spot on what we ended up with because um, I loved it straight off. We talked about the colours and all this kind of stuff. Um, it was a really good process. It wasn't cheap. It cost me a bit. Mm. But I, one of the things I think to myself is, yeah, it cost me a bit. And, you know, whether I'll sell enough books to recover that you know, remains to be seen. But I'll always have a book out there on the shelf that I'm really proud of mm. in terms of its visual appeal, if nothing yeah. else. Absolutely. It really, you know, came up. Uh, it, it turned it into a really professional-looking book, and it drew a lot of attention from people um, to it. A lot of people turned to it because of that cover art. So, I think a lot of people. I see some of the covers that people are doing, and I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, if you've written a good book, you need a good cover. Yeah. Even if you haven't written a good book, probably more you need a good <laughs> cover. More you need a good cover. Yeah. Yeah. The cover is so important. Absolutely, and and I, you know, I, I think yours looks like a traditionally published book because of the cover. Yeah, yeah, one, really of, the, um, one of the things I would, um, or pieces of advice I would give people is, um, and I knew this from my working background, I insisted that I get the Photoshop file as part of the deliverable. So I got quite a few things for the deliverable. He already provides um, the full cover, the full artwork without any of the text, you know. Um, the ebook cover, a full wraparound for if you do a hard book cover, etc., etc. There's about you know five or six things, but I said I also wanted the um, the Photoshop file, and he had no difficulty with that. Some will, but I thought, look, I'm paying a fair bit of money, mm. and if I want to get changes done to it in the future, I don't want to have to go back and pay you more money. Um, yeah, and so subsequent to that, I wanted to make some slight changes to the blurb. Well, I was able to do it myself without going back to him. Um, so, yeah, I would really say to people, if you are spending a bit of money, ask for the Photoshop file. Um, push for it. Because if they're getting a lot of money out of you, they'll probably roll over on it. They won't offer it, but they'll probably roll over on it. When you say the Photoshop file, because, yeah, you and I kind of disagree on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you, is, the, is the illustration editable? Um, uh, the layers to the illustration. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's a multi-layered file. Um, yes. Look, I'm not a Photoshop. Think, I'm not a yes. Photoshop, but there's about most, forty layers. I think most 
um, artists wouldn't mind giving you the flattened illustration file and then the, the text layer separate. That's not usually yeah. an issue. The issue usually is over the illustration yeah. being, being editable. But yeah, I mean, and you know, because the thing is, uh, you definitely paid for it. And I think if you are willing yeah. to pay it. And that's why most um, covers are a lot cheaper and that yeah. you can't um, re-edit them. Yeah, and look, I probably should reiterate that um, so a lot of people will say they won't give it to you, and that's mm -hmm. okay. You got, but you got nothing lost by asking them. Yeah, true. Uh, I wouldn't not yeah. go to someone just because they wouldn't give it to me, but you might be surprised. Yeah. Um, and you're right. And I would have no difficulty if the artwork had had not been layered because I don't want to mm -hmm. change the artwork. Um, you know, it's only if I would do variation. Say I change the title or something like that. Yeah, um, or whatever. I can't think what else. <laughs> mm. um, but by getting it, I was also able to use a lot of that artwork myself for other things, um, for the marketing. You know, so for things for my website and banners for my website and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about your website, um, well done and thank you, because so many writers do not do dark writing on a white background. <laughs> it's on their websites. I don't know why. Even the ones who are good at design seem to choose black websites with white writing, which is actually yeah. very hard for people to read and very inaccessible. Yeah. Um, except for certain conditions where actually it's the opposite. Some people do find it easier, but the vast majority prefer uh, light backgrounds and, and black write, dark writing and also quite a sparse layout. And yeah. I mean, you've used a simple WordPress uh, theme on your website, but yeah. it looks pretty good. And um, I was just wondering what kind of thought you put into it, what kind of research you did to come up with a website like that, if any. Yeah. Um, well, there's two factors. One, I did a bit of work on websites in my previous job, you know, my day job um, before I retired. So I knew a bit about web design, not a lot. I wasn't a web designer, but I learned a bit about some mm. of the important elements of it. Um, so I was really reasonably comfortable, but I did a lot of research on the web about author websites and I looked at a lot, um, and I looked at all the things that they put on their site, all the different elements that they have. Some of them I liked, some of them I didn't. Um, but, and there's a lot out there. So I would encourage people look around and see what, but also think when you look at one of those websites about well, what is it you would want if you go to an author's website, what are you, what are you looking for when you go there? Um, and yeah, I, I've just got a bit of a, um, thing about black, um, backgrounds and white texts and that on websites. They're not easy to read. They look pretty smicko when you first go there, but when you're dealing with getting information out of it, mm. Yeah, mm, I don't know, it's a bit clumsy. Um, and I, I wasn't aware of the design elements or the design rules that, that talk about that, but just as a user, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't attract me. But you mentioned WordPress. Look, there's so many WordPress um, themes out there that you can use. There's no excuse for anyone not getting in and getting a decent website. Absolutely. And it's pretty cheap if you go with WordPress.com as well. Yeah. The other thing I think people have got to remember about their websites is you've got to keep it changing. Um, if it just is static, there's no reason for people to go back there. Yeah. Um, so, and there's no reason why you can't co completely refresh it every now and then um, and change it um, because, yeah, it just keeps it interesting. People go to what's interesting and people got low attention span. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they sure do. 
Yeah, certainly. I do. I know I do. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, Mark, thanks for that. The uh, clock is um, rapidly approaching. Um, I think we've got less than th- less than four minutes left. Yeah. Um, so, just quickly, I'd like to ask you. Um, you're, now, you're a fairly uh, new member of Specfic NZ, of course. Um, yeah. But uh, have you fa- have you found any benefits from being a member of it yet? Um, if so, what? Um, uh, and also, just let us know where where our listeners can find you online. Yeah. Okay. So um, I think the main benefit of it has been it's opened the door to me um, to a lot more of my colleagues across New Zealand um, that I wasn't aware of. So um, yes, I know people here in Dunedin but particularly someone coming from out of country, it's just really opened my eyes to the fact that there's a, a bigger community of specfic authors out there. Um, and I've started to meet some of those people. So, yes, I have got some benefit out of it. I can't say that, you know, it's it's been, uh, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me since you know, I got here. <laughs> um, because it's hard to beat local writing groups, you know, because yeah. they're right there. You can, you can interact with local writing groups much more regularly. Um, and that's something maybe some of the, the um, groups like Specfic NZ need to think about is how do they actually engage with their members on a more regular basis? I, I don't have any magic answers here, um, but I suspect a lot of them are sitting out there, a lot of the members are sitting out there wanting that kind of engagement. Um, and I guess these podcasts are a way of doing that. Um, we're hoping yeah (laughs) and the other thing i think people are looking for is resources you know how to get uh, manuscript appraisals done who can do that you know chat groups maybe about about these different issues and yeah there's a whole range of things you could do but of course you've got to have the time to do them so i understand that that's right yes absolutely and especially as a voluntary organization um yeah so um, thanks, Mark. It's been really interesting um, chatting with you and finding out some of your tips and, and how you go around, how you've gone around doing things. Um, and just, just lastly, really, for our listeners, um, where can they find you online? Um, MarkMcCabeAuthor.com. So it's a WordPress site. Um, and I'm sure if you Google Mark McCabe Author, all one word, .com, you'll find it there somewhere. In fact, you only have to Google Mark McCabe author. I tried it earlier. Uh, um, um, The other way, way, of course, would be for people to go to the Specfic NZ website and look up my page on that. That's true. Yes, absolutely. Okay. um, Thanks again, Mark. It's been really good having you on board. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, see you all soon.